Wrestling fans, it's true, it's damn true. Chris Jericho just made the injured reserve list after losing the U.S. title to Kevin Owens. Sheamus and Cesaro are not only setting the bar, they are the bar. The Miz is your number one contender to the Intercontinental title. Braun Strowman actually won a match. And this is WrestleRant Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. I'm Tommy Sharp alongside Graham GSM Matthews bringing you the front to end WWE coverage that you deserve. Listen online at nexterawrestling.net and as we listen to the dulcet tones of Look Sharp, Graham, how are you doing this week? A blockbuster week for the WWE coming out of Payback. Nothing short of phenomenal. Like you said, we had Payback on Sunday, Raw, SmackDown, respectively. Another great episode of NXT on Wednesday. How can you not be doing great right now in the world of wrestling? It's a a phenomenal um, Payback pay-per-view. A lot of interesting controversy surrounding said House of Horrors match. But let's do a quick rundown. Let's do a, a super fast recap of everything that we saw happening at Payback this week, which was a lot, and it could mean a lot going forward for everyone involved, at uh, uh, for Raw especially, but there was uh, implications for SmackDown as well that have set things in motion. Uh, let's do the, uh, on the kickoff side of things, I think the biggest news coming out of kickoff land was that Finn Balor was completely in control of his match against The Miz, and that was like almost apparent from the get-go. Not that The Miz looked out of place in the match uh, at all, but this is probably Finn Balor's um, biggest competition yet since returning, which was great to see. Enzo Amore and Big Cass defeated Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson. Big back-and-forth battle between the two of them on skill sets and who's taking an advantage. I still think Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson have more over Big Cass and Enzo Amore than they do over them. Uh, Chris Jericho defeated United States champion Kevin Owens, and as we started and stated at the top of the show, Chris Jericho has lost that title. Uh, We'll be getting into that as we talk about SmackDown. Austin Aries defeated WWE Cruiserweight champion Neville via disqualification. Uh, A little bit of controversy surrounding that, which I would love to dive in with you. The Raw Tag Team Champions, the Hardy Boys, defeated Sheamus and Cesaro. Sheamus and Cesaro turning their face uh, in a different direction, uh, which we will also uh, be discussing on the show today. Alexa Bliss is the new Raw Women's Champion. That was a shock of shocks. Certainly repercussions that we saw on Monday this week as well. Uh, Seth Rollins was able to defeat Samoa Joe, but at what cost to his body and future endeavors in the WWE? Samoa Joe certainly can still absorb those beatings much better than Seth Rollins can. Braun Strowman got a win out of nowhere. Braun Strowman finds himself with a W in the column against Roman Reigns uh, and a lot of backstage fallout after that match and let us not mince words about and perhaps let's kick the show off right now talking about Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton in the House of Horrors match. Graham, before I give you my impressions, give me your full thoughts. What did you think about the House of Horrors? For what this was, I thoroughly enjoyed this. I feel like, and we talked about this off the air a couple of days ago, but I feel like you're either in two camps who either really, really like this or you really hated it. But um, you might have to be a campy horror movie fan in order to enjoy House of Horrors, but I thought this was really, really good. I thought both guys brought a lot to the table, no pun intended, with the fridge and, and the baby dolls and everything else. It was 
campy as hell. It was just over the top, but in the best possible way. I thought it was awesome. And this is very reflective of Bray Wyatt's powers. Um, he certainly has not been able to command uh, the dark forces, if you will, in the same way that Undertaker or Kane have commanded those forces in the past. Bray Wyatt's powers seem to be more based on cheap parlor tricks and trickery um, than uh, necessarily conjuring any type of cult forces in his favor. He did come out with a win, but Randy Orton appeared out of nowhere, seemingly having more cosmic or cult powers than Bray Wyatt himself, who had to take a limo from venue to venue. Now, uh, I thought the House of Horrors match from the second Randy Orton appeared shirtless in the back of a limo to the time he stepped out of that limo and uttered the famous phrase, the phrase that will go down in the annals of WWE history, a phrase that will be chanted and repeated forever, a very simple what the hell? <laughs> it was classic Randy Orton. Vintage Randy just Orton. Just vintage Randy Orton on display. And the second that he entered the House of Horrors, uh, those living rooms did not stand a chance. Um, you Nor know, did those dirty dishes. Those dirty dishes, that that old uh, you know mercury laden fridge, everything that was going on. I mean, the, I mean, there was asbestos in this house. That was mm-hmm. really the the horror of this was the fact that the roof needed to be replaced. The windows had a heck of a breeze coming in, so that you know all kinds of caulking was needed to seal that up. I mean, it's a real house of horrors. And uh, just for your information, you. Uh, uh, fellow listeners, um, you can be a, the new owner of said House of Horrors, which is on sale right now for a paltry sum of $36,000, and that can be all yours, all yours and more if you want to live on Highway 10 in Missouri, Kansas City. Um, absolutely uh, uh, unbelievable uh, House of Horrors uh, segment for payback, but talk to me a little bit more specifically about what you thought when the match didn't immediately conclude uh, uh, following Bray Wyatt's departure from the House of Horrors. There was a significant amount of time between leaving Bray Wyatt, leaving the House of Horrors, and the conclusion of that match. How did you feel about that strategy? I'm going to be honest with you. I thought it interrupted the flow of the match quite a bit. I mean, to go from... It, it, it was an interesting way of doing it. It reminded me of when we saw Dean Ambrose and Luke Harper in a Falls Can Anywhere match a couple of years ago in Chicago. I think at Payback or Extreme Rules. I think it was Extreme Rules. We saw them drive out of the arena, then come back like an hour or two later or whatever it was. And it kind of interrupted the match a bit. And then we only saw a little bit of it back in the ring, back in the arena about a half hour, hour later. So it was a bit weird. I'm sure it was kind of uh, bothersome for the live audience to not witness the House of Horrors live. They were kind of watching it on the screen along with the rest of us at home. Um, so that was a bit odd, but it did end up back in the ring, as you had said. Orton coming out of nowhere inexplicably, just surviving the uh, the fridge shot, which was odd. Uh, maybe he took a pretty quick Uber to the arena. I'm not exactly sure. It was still dark out at 630 in California, but again, I enjoyed every minute of yeah, it. Yeah, for, for me, I believe that um, if you watch the footage closely, Bray Wyatt may have been convinced, and perhaps Randy Orton wanted Bray Wyatt to be convinced that that fridge actually did land on him. If you watch closely, you can see it gets hung up on the stove. Just a little bit. Mm, So while Randy Orton may have appeared to have been crushed, it seems that there was just enough room for him to stay perfectly intact because when he appeared in the ring out of nowhere, he was as healthy as can be, only to be completely chopped down by the Singh brothers and Jinder Mahal who came out and attacked him with the 
The word of the day, ladies and gentlemen, if you hear this word, you have to scream absconded. The absconded title that uh, uh, Jinder Mahal stole from Randy Orton this past uh, to, about a week ago, a week and a half ago at this point. Um, so uh, that came to fruition a little bit this week on SmackDown Live, but not exactly a win for Bray Wyatt either. Um, uh, Bray Wyatt's wins tend to be marred with uh, interruptions. What do you feel about Bray Wyatt in the win column uh, for this match? Quite honestly, I mean, I'm glad he won. I don't want to complain and say uh, Wyatt won in this fashion, which is true. Um, I think we should we should address both parts of it. But he was pretty much the afterthought here. I mean, I think the focus was on Orton getting taken out by Mahal and the focus being on that feud going into Backlash. That's great for that feud for SmackDown Live. But this is a raw pay-per-view at the end of the day. Bray Wyatt is a Raw superstar, and now he heads into a feud with Finn Balor, presumably on Raw, which is great, fresh feud. I'm going to enjoy that, I'm sure, but it doesn't exactly give Wyatt that momentum boost that he desperately needed. Well, and now um, Bray Wyatt is it, uh, very much involved himself in The Miz's life, and I can't quite understand why. Maybe The Miz doesn't quite understand why, but he is quite involved. Up, uh, you know, Miz uh, lost his match at Payback to Finn Balor, uh, but is now the number one contender for the Intercontinental title uh, against Dean Ambrose coming up at presumably Backlash. Mm -hmm. What? Why? Why help The Miz in any kind of way whatsoever? You know, now, you know, obviously uh, it, it doesn't seem to serve a, a whole ton of purpose to, to, to help The Miz ever. But what do you think Bray Wyatt has on his mind as to why he's doing this? Is this a slight against Dean Ambrose or is this just more chaos spurns chaos? I mean, it could be. I mean, like you said, for two straight weeks, he's been involved in things on Raw involving The Miz, uh, both times involving having... Um, implications surrounding Dean Ambrose, my best guess was, was that it was a pure coincidence. I mean, the first time he came out to simply wreak havoc and build momentum heading into House of Horrors, this week it was not to maybe not aid The Miz, but rather, you know, prevent Finn Balor from getting that championship shot. For whatever reason, we saw we did see him earlier on in the evening on Raw confronting Kurt Angle, the Raw general manager, saying that he had something epic in store for at some point down the road, which ended up being later on in the night. Again, we'll find out, I'm sure, later on, you know, next week on Raw in some sort of mysterious cryptic promo that only Bray Wyatt can deliver. But I'm sure, in my opinion, it might not have anything to do with Dean Ambrose, or rather, even The Miz. We'll find out Monday and Raw. Well, Bray Wyatt seems to find himself obsessed uh, with particular things, and, and The Miz is so outspoken about uh, living uh, such a glitzy, uh, glamorous facade of a lifestyle that... Bray Wyatt might be looking at uh, this as his attack on the Hollywood engine, almost. So I can certainly see Bray Wyatt manipulating and toying with The Miz like he has done time and again, with every, but without a family surrounding him. Uh, certainly The Miz can stand his own, uh, but not against Finn Balor. Finn Balor this week, let's, let's talk a little bit about, let's jump around today. I feel like jumping around. Finn Balor um, this week confronted uh, Seth Rollins in a way that I had not been anticipating. Uh, he directly brought up the fact that he had been, he was not only the first universal champion in the WWE, but was taken completely out of action and injured due to the uh, uh, buckle bomb, if you will, to the outside apron that was delivered by Seth Rollins. How, how did that segment strike you? Did, did you see a little bit of resentment coming from Finn Balor? Um, and what does that mean for the potential of either Seth Rollins or Finn Balor 
going after the universal title, which is currently held by Brock Lesnar. Well, we talk about superstars being involved with one another and one another in the history they have with the Miz and Bray Wyatt and Dean Ambrose. I mean, you talk about Finn Balor and Seth Rollins. These guys have been kind of crossing paths more often than not since Balor came back. I, I what struck me as odd was the fact that he didn't bring this up sooner. I mean, Balor came to the aid of Seth Rollins the night after WrestleMania, teaming with him to defeat Kevin Owens and Samoa Joe in tag team action. The week, just prior to this week, a week and a half ago, he teamed with Seth Rollins and Big Cass to defeat Samoa Joe in the club. So he's been indirectly involved with Rollins quite a bit since he returned. It kind of went under the radar for whatever reason. But, um, yeah, I'm sure this was not the last we will see of Balor and Rollins. Maybe Balor does have some. I mean, who wouldn't have any bad blood with Rollins, considering the fact, as you said, he took him out of action, whether it be on purpose or not. Certainly, Rollins showed no remorse after the fact. Took him out of action for well over, you know, eight months. So we'll see what it leads to. And probably the only difference between what happened between Seth Rollins and Finn Balor and Seth Rollins and Samoa Joe is that Samoa Joe intended this type of injury yes. and gloated about this type of injury. Whereas Seth Rollins not only was shortly after injured himself mm-hmm. by Samoa Joe uh, and has been injured before in the past, but certainly has a lot of sympathy and a lot of respect for uh, Finn Balor. Not that that's going to change anything between the two of them as it, when it comes down to competition, but uh, you know, at least there is a, um, a seeming gentleman's agreement of how uh, all of that shook out. But, you know, it didn't really work out for Seth Rollins or Finn Balor on Monday night as The Miz, Seth Rollins, and Finn Balor were set to compete in a number one contenders match for the Intercontinental Championship. We had mentioned already on the show that The Miz is in line to be the number one contender and is the number one contender for Dean Ambrose's Intercontinental title. Um, That's presumably coming up at Backlash. We've seen this before. What new things are we going to see from The Miz going in this time, and why does he want to be Intercontinental Champion? It seems like he's had a a renewed focus since coming to Monday Night Raw. Not only does he want the Intercontinental Championship, he wants to be the A-lister. He wants to be the star of Monday Nights. And I literally just got finished writing about this a couple of hours ago, but I think in the absence of Brock Lesnar, that Intercontinental Championship is now the new top title on Monday Night Raw. And whoever has that championship is the man to be on Monday nights. And Miz, by proxy, is the Intercontinental Champion. He is the number one superstar in Monday Night Raw, a spot he never really had on SmackDown. He was getting to that point before he got you know shaken up to Raw, whatever draft. We can't say that dirty word, apparently, in WWE. But now that Miz is on Raw, he's got his sights set back on the Intercontinental Championship. And regaining the gold, he would, again, by default, become the new top guy in Monday Night. Well, and it seems to be that on the other side of the coin here on SmackDown Live, a similar scenario is brewing for the blue brand because... Uh, obviously the uh, Jinder Mahal uh, absconded (laughs) with the WWE title and was gloating about it at the top of the show this week, getting his picture taken, claiming that he was the Maharaja, that he deserves all kinds of respect, and Shane McMahon uh, confiscated, that's going to be the new word of the week, um, (laughs) uh, the uh, WWE title from him because titles and his words are earned. Um, in Jinder Mahal's uh, perspective, they are also stolen and or absconded. Ah! Um, but now that the title is kind of held up in limbo, uh, Randy Orton is, is obviously the title holder, but that's going to be put up and on the line at Backlash as he takes on Jinder Mahal, who's the number one contender for that belt. And is honestly looking uh, pretty strong after defeating Sami Zayn this week in a very... uh, It was a close match until, you know, interference had to to rear its ugly head in that. But um, if we are comparing what the top title 
is for Raw, and we are saying that that's the Intercontinental title in the absence of the Universal title, then in the absence of having the WWE World Championship on SmackDown, the United States Championship becomes the top title that people are talking about. And uh, we now know that Kevin Owens is retaining his pace to be the face of America. Is he a great face of America? He certainly does not have that award-winning, smile, chiseled, good, sexy beast looks that Chris Jericho has, baby. He does not have any of that. And I think he sought to take a little bit away from Chris Jericho's good looks by putting his head inside of a chair and smashing it against the outside ring post. What, Knowing what we know about Chris Jericho, hardworking guy, um, do you think that this type of injury, given that he is also a singer, that he plays, he fronts a, a heavy metal band called Fozzy, do you think that this is a wake-up call for him, that potentially if he continues with the WWE at this point, this could be damaging to his his, his throat? I mean, that's his other instrument, you know? His body is, is a wrestling weapon, but his his voice is his creative weapon. Do you think that we could? this might be the last we see of Chris Jericho for a while? I, I think so. I think it's it's pretty timely. I think John Cena recently talked about this on an episode of Total Divas, which is a great show, by the way. It but is. He, he recently talked about it on, on the show in that he doesn't wish to do two projects at the same time, pull a Super Cena-like schedule. He'll leave for a couple of months and do his Fox show, come back and do WWE. Because if he gets injured on one show, he can't do the other. He can't really do both at that point. So Jericho is the same way, I would assume. Well, and it looks like Kevin Owens was uh, aware of that and yes. certainly wanted to send him out the door with a parting gift. And not only was Chris Jericho stripped of his brand new United States Championship, which is, you know, he's held before, but it's always good to see gold on the uh, shoulder or waist of the Lionheart. Um, but now Kevin Owens is back on top as the face of America. What kind of face is Kevin Owens? I mean, we've been kind of seeing this face of America shtick from Owens for the past month or so. He might or may may or may not have debuted that shtick when we were there at SmackDown about a month ago. Um, I'm not sure how far it goes back, but he's a guy who talks about it before. He might have been talking about it, I think, either on SmackDown earlier this week. I forgot when it was, but he was saying how Jericho, despite being Canadian, was born in America. Kevin Owens, having been born in Canada, is... Fully Canadian, 100% Canadian, and he's the face of America. He was taking shots at Americans this past week before regaining the United States Championship on Twitter, saying that's not how we do things in Canada. That's not how America should be. I'm the champion of America. I'm the face of the United States, which could at some point, speaking of John Cena, to steal an idea from you, Tom, you were talking about it earlier this week off the record, could we see some sort of rekindling of the rivalry? between John Cena and Kevin Owens over that championship at some point down the road. Well, I mean, it's only a matter of time before we see John Cena again, and um, he usually comes back with his eyes set on something that's bothering him. And certainly Kevin Owens bothers a lot of people, and now that he claims to be the face of America, um, I can see John Cena wanting to rekindle his his connection with the United States Championship, which he wore very proudly and, and in my opinion, was the greatest run of his career. I agree. And uh, I would not be um, at all uh, disappointed to see him retain that status as the United States Champion. And I, I I will go on record in saying that I believe that John Cena should retire as United States Champion and, and uh, stop his pursuit of any belt higher than that because I think it fits him as a title and as a, uh, as a representative – it would require someone to hold on to it like Bruno San Martino did to the world title. 
to really make a statement that that belt it means more than any paper title convenient to switch over, hand off, absconding ah, of said belt. So um, will we see John Cena poke his head in uh, again? Absolutely. Is he going to be for the United States Championship? One can only hope that that's uh, where he's going and not after the world title. The uh, We were just previously talking about Jinder Mahal and how he uh, uh, was in a match this week against Sami Zayn. He defeated Sami Zayn, although uh, it wasn't for, without help. The Singh brothers, formerly known as the Bollywood Boys, ditching um, any of their song and dance in favor of the strength and, I don't know, just posturing of Jinder Mahal's raging, ridiculous body. Um, Jinder Mahal essentially absconded with a win over Sami Zayn. It's not going to stop, folks. Um, uh, What did you think about the outcome of that match and how unbelievably well-matched Sami Zayn looked against Jinder Mahal? I mean, a tainted victory nonetheless for, for Jinder, but a win is a win. I mean, he beat a former NXT champion, an established star on the on the main roster on SmackDown in Sami Zayn. So a win is a win. Again, like I said earlier, helping boosting that momentum for Jinder Mahal. And he needs all the, all the credible victories he can get. He's heading into backlash for the WWE Championship against Randy Orton, a guy who has been here for 15 years. He needs as many as credible victories as he can, no matter how he can get them. I mean, the ends justify the means in the mind of Mahal. So... I thought it was a uh, an impressive outing for both guys. I mean, Sami Zayn obviously has his sights set on something a bit bigger at the moment, and Baron Corbin, who was noticeably absent from SmackDown and being suspended um, last week on Talking Smack, so he will be back next week to, I'm sure, wreak havoc on the um, on the underdog from the underground. So we'll see how that plays out. But no, I thought it was a, a really good showing from a hall on Tuesday night. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you know, he's aspiring to be a champion. Um, and he's aspiring to stand proud and represent, you know, himself and essentially, you know, entire nations uh, with his presence. But is this the way to go about doing business? Is this going to really put people in a position of prosperity? He came from a peaceful place and now he has landed himself squarely in a selfish, like, nexus of, of uh, you know, wrongdoing to and stepping on people to get to where he wants to be. And is that the WWE you know, mentality, it certainly feels that way for JBL. But another uh, person that has drive and a lot of venom who is now on top of the WWE women's division, and that is the Raw Women's Champion, the new champion, Alexa Bliss, who defeated uh, Bailey at Payback in a total shock of shocks moment. Although to us, it seemed like it was somewhat possible, inevitable. Uh, I know uh, I'm an Alexa Bliss fan, so I had her going uh, over in this match. I know you're a Bailey fan, so we, we split the difference there. But I don't think that those were informed predictions. Those were most, mostly personal biases. I was shocked that Bailey did not retain this title, and it was it, it, it brought me no uh, joy to see Bailey pretty down about having to stand. Uh, for the coronation of Alexa Bliss as she uh, ascended a pedestal, essentially. And I don't know how that that did not end with all of all other women in that ring um, uh, just beating her to pieces, especially women she did not even choose to acknowledge, like Emma, <laughs> who is just standing behind her. Mm-hmm. You know, I, if, if I were Emma, I just would have walked out of the ring yeah, at offended, that point. Yeah. <laughs> the second she was like, well, if I'm not being addressed, I'm not going to be here, so goodbye. <laughs> Dana Brooke was not mentioned at all um Alicia Fox now Alicia Fox was not mentioned at all I will point out though that if you notice who was standing next to who who was standing next to who 
It was Alexa Bliss and Nia, or Sasha Banks and Bailey. Is yep, that what you're so, alluding to? No, I, I'm actually. I was actually alluding to Emma standing next to Dana oh, Brooke. Oh, okay. Going back to what you were talking about last. Yeah, week. I yeah, think yeah, there's yeah. a little bit of thing. Maybe uh, tensions are simmering, and maybe uh, some team uh, mentality is forming there. But it, regardless, Alexa Bliss continues to be divisive. Um, uh, going so far to get in the face of Nia Jax, who she does show a concerned look for, for sure, but does not seem to be too concerned with Sasha Banks, Mickey James, D- or Dana Brooke, Bailey, Emma, anybody else, Alicia Fox, um, I can't believe was there to begin with. Um, but uh, uh, Alexa Bliss is uh, going to be, uh, I, I don't know, stirring the pot, I guess. Uh, what do you think is next for Alexa? For Alexa Bliss, it's got to be Bailey. I know she beat her on Sunday, clean as a sheet. She beat her the next night in tag team action. But in the end, Bailey does have her rematch clause. I'm sure she will get it Extreme Rules in some sort of stipulation match, which I'm really looking forward to. These guys, these two women, rather, have just amazing chemistry in the ring. So I'm sure Bailey is her first and foremost opponent going forward. But in the rearview mirror, she, she, she kind of pissed off a lot of people in that ring from Sasha Banks to maybe Nia Jax. There's something simmering there, too, as well, I'm sure. And even Emma, as you said, kind of being overlooked in this segment. So I'm sure Alexa Bliss has kind of eyes in the back of her head as she goes forward as Raw Women's Champion. Well, let's talk about the SmackDown Live Women's Champion, Naomi. Was she wronged this week? I felt like Naomi was like intentionally wronged um, by just the, the way that things play out for Naomi. You know, she has one of the best in-ring abilities out of any superstar. Probably the closest to Charlotte Flair is anyone I've seen on the women's roster. Um, but there was a welcoming party, I guess is what they are. Uh, they were referred to as, but that was Carmella uh, and and uh, the, that, Natalia. Uh, yeah, Natalia. Um, there was a man with two hands, <laughs> and uh, wasn't there? Oh, and um, T- Tamina. Yes, Tamina Sinatra. and Tamina. So uh, they planted a seed inside of Becky Lynch's head that perhaps Becky Lynch would be better off um, rejecting Charlotte Flair's new uh, presence. Uh, The fact that Charlotte Flair is a number one contender right now, the fact that Charlotte Flair has been a champion everywhere she goes, the fact that Charlotte Flair has manipulated everyone everywhere she goes. They don't think highly of Charlotte Flair, and it was very much an us versus her mentality. Um, Naomi doesn't really to any of that, nor did they approach her. So when a match was announced that Naomi and Charlotte Flair would be teaming up against Carmella and Natalia, Charlotte Flair was promptly attacked uh, mm-hmm. pretty pretty viciously, um, especially in the ribs. And uh, it, it should be noted that whenever you, you see a backstage attack like this or anything like that, sometimes, you know, someone's t- thrown into a pile of you know boards or pipes or something like that. And it's a lot of back injuries. Whenever you see rib injuries and things like that that affects how you breathe that affects everything you do in the ring what does charlotte flair do in those in that ring she performs at a higher level than anyone if you want to take charlotte flair out of the picture you limit the way she can breathe and that's exactly what they did and i feel like that's all coming from natalia that is some heart dungeon nonsense right there of how to take someone out of the game mm-hmm. Natalia has been expert at that and, and taking all of the things that you're not supposed to do and doing all of them. <laughs> and much. Carmella can only support that. And Tamina is is the absolute enforcer in that group. And, and then there's James Ellsworth. But Naomi uh, was insulated from a lot of that. And she, you know, like she confronted this tag team match, which became a two on one match uh, for the first half of it, at mm-hmm. least. 
she confronted that head on and and you know at first i was like why isn't she just diving right in and just going on the total offensive attack but that probably would have brought Carmella into the ring. That probably would have seen her get beaten down earlier because, I mean, there's essentially no rules in a tag team match. Mm-hmm. So what did Naomi do? She held her ground with fast, lightning fast kicks, with devastating, like, uh, sidestepping maneuvers that would completely uh, uh, throw Carmella and Natalia off their trail. But succumbed to the two-on-one mentality um, and was uh, needing of rescue. Um, so tell me a little bit about that match and what you thought about it. I thought all four guys did, or all four women rather, just did an excellent job in furthering their feud. The SmackDown women's division has just been doing a great job of bringing the division to new heights. I mean, Charlotte coming over from Raw was a big get for the blue brand. And you had Carmella, you had Natalia, you have Tamina Snuka seemingly outnumbering Naomi, seemingly outnumbering Charlotte. In the end, scoring the victory, you had Carmella pinning the champion. You had her pinning Charlotte to seemingly earn a future title shot at the SmackDown Women's Championship. So maybe at some point down the line, we will see Naomi, we will see Carmella go at it one-on-one for that title. But even beyond that, we could see a six-woman tag team match. With that. What happened afterwards with Becky Lynch, we neglected to mention too, Becky Lynch coming back into the fold, aligning herself. I, I like the tease too, by the way. I like the tease with Charlotte and Naomi and uh, seemingly going towards the welcoming committee. But in the end... Oh, she shook. She went down the line mm-hmm. and shook every single person's hand. And, With the exception of, of James Ellsworth. Oh, well, I didn't consider him a person. <laughs> yeah, that's so, um, The turtle. Uh, but uh, when she got to Natalia, yep. clearly Becky knows where all of this is stemming from. So Becky went to the source. She went right to Natalia and struck her with a handshake blow that was just fantastic. And very Becky Lynch of her. I mean, there was that moment. You could see it in her eyes where she, she at least... Uh, made them believe that she was considering their offer. To to see Becky Lynch, I felt like Becky Lynch was coming more to the aid of anyone being pushed around. I don't think it settles well with her that anyone, anybody who's getting pushed around, she's going to help them, whether that's Charlotte Flair or her best friend. It's it, it's just who Becky Lynch is. I don't see this as her siding with Charlotte, but will she be placed side by side with Charlotte? Mm-hmm. Will they start to rekindle some of that friendship they once had? Maybe, but it would be in Becky's best interest to not. And to keep that all at distance, just look at the Shield, for example. Um, you know, if a new faction is forming, however, for Carmella, Natalia, and Tamina, it would uh, you know potentially do all three of them well to at least be on the same page. Whether they're aligning themselves together or not, I don't see that happening. Um, Naomi is a champion, and she's going to continue to put herself in that priority above anything else. So we will see how that plays out as Backlash looms in the background on the 21st. It's going to be Sunday, May 21st on the WWE Network. Um, I, I fully expect to see a match between Naomi and Charlotte Flair, but who knows what happens uh, between now and then. Uh, SmackDown has been known for having lots of different title defenses that aren't on uh, uh, on major shows on the network. So this will be really interesting to see what comes out of that. Um, but uh, let's jump back over to the Raw side for a minute. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, cruiserweight scenario that we have going on. Now there's kind of two different cruiserweight um, 
stories, modes, uh, things happening in parallel almost. Two different worlds. Two different worlds. I mean, there's the world that involves Rich Swan, Akira Tozawa, Jack Gallagher. Noam Dar. Noam Dar, Tony Neese, Brian Kendrick. I mean, all of those people have reason to like or dislike each other. Neville, TJ Perkins, and a few others, Austin Aries especially, uh, seem to have risen beyond that kind of noise going on out there. And there seems to be two different types of programs running. Which is more interesting to you right now, and what do you see brewing in those uh, other feuds and and competition there? Well, it's got to be the Cruiserweight Championship picture. I mean, Neville and Aries have really come together and put together this awesome feud since right before WrestleMania, having a great match at WrestleMania, having an even better match of payback this past Sunday, as as you talked about earlier, that tainted finish with Neville intentionally getting himself disqualified, retaining the title, but awarding, you know, Austin Aries the victory. Obviously, a lot of unfinished business there between those two, but I'm really liking what I'm seeing with all three of those guys, including uh, TJ Perkins, or now he is now known as T- just simply TJP, apparently. They have changed his name to just TJP, the latest victim of getting his first name taken away. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm liking what I'm seeing with Aries, Neville, and Perkins. And then the other guys, I mean, they're, they're doing their thing. The six-man tag team match we saw in Raw was entertaining from an in-ring standpoint. A lot of these stories, bad blood, don't really have much meaning. We've been watching Noam Dar and and uh, who else is it? Rich Swan fighting over Alicia Fox for months now. It's kind of wearing a little thin with me personally. Brian Kendrick and, uh, and Akira Tozawa have this broken mentor relationship uh, drama mm-hmm. that you know uh, seems to only exist in Brian Kendrick's mind. Tony Nese just seems to generally rub everyone the wrong way. You know, he's the premier athlete that hits like a heavyweight, flies like a cruiserweight, and all this nonsense. And, you know, he's he's just a loser at the end of the day. Um, (laughs) Pretty much. The interesting, uh, the standouts uh, that I see in that uh, other tier of uh, cruiserweight challengers right now is Akira Tozawa. And uh, in a way, Tony Nese, I mean, they seem to be a little bit more serious. And and I think that that serious caliber is exactly what uh, TJ Perkins uh, TJP now, if you will, um, has ditched, you know, a lot uh, as, as for as flashy and as exciting as his introduction uh, to to the ring may be. He's been very much a tactically focused person. He's getting all of those tips from Neville, obviously. Same with Austin Aries, who has had a tactical recovery and comeback into the cruiserweight division to be a be that wrecking ball of a force that he is. Who's up next? It's Akira Tozawa and Tony Nese. They are on the rise, and they are separating themselves from the rest of the pack, while Brian Kendrick, Noam Dar, Rich Swan, and Jack Gallagher seem to be more interested in the antics that go on in the cruiserweight division. Um, it's still a shame to see them so separated on the show and to see even on payback the entire ring changed purple and the cruiserweight uh, logos dropped down. It was just like, is this a payback match or are we watching a cruiserweight show? Yeah. I want I want to see these guys compete at payback, but maybe it's time that they have their own network special to really compete for these titles and do those things a little more selectively. Uh, it, time, will, time will tell, but uh, for Austin Aries defeating TJ Perkins this week, um, that was a step in the right direction for Austin Aries getting back into uh, the the face of uh, King Neville, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think is next for Neville? Is he done with Austin Aries? I wouldn't say so. I mean, Aries did beat TJP on Monday's Raw, but then again, TJP attacked him afterwards. So they obviously have some unfinished business there. Once Aries gets through Perkins, I'm sure he will reset his focus back on, reshift his focus back on the Cruiserweight Championship. He will, he will not rest until the, the, the greatest man who ever lived has gold around his waist. And if it means going through TJP, 
going through Neville, going through the rest of the division, then he will do so because he's going to be a champion by the end of the day. Absolutely. Well, and let's let's change gears a little bit and talk about non-champions for a second. Now, we saw Apollo Crews and Heath Slater in a match this week. Um what 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 direction does Apollo Crews or Heath Slater need to go in in order to get back on track to see Heath Slater in a singles competition match? I mean, he's obviously uh, whenever he's announced uh, for a tag team match, he comes out with the three MB music. It's not Rhino's music, mm-hmm. but you see Rhino's name kind of up there. But his song literally starts out with "I'm a one man band." Is he done being a tag team uh, participant? Well, I mean, they were coming under the music when they were teaming on a more consistent basis. Which, I mean, makes less sense than anything. Yeah. But, you know, I get it. You got to roll with something. It's a makeshift duo. I mean, but, I mean, it, it the entire time, every time I heard it, I felt like Slater had one foot out the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? no, he, he really just kind of did it as a ticket to get a job with SmackDown. Really, I mean, at the end of the day. All of his talk about kids and having kids and how he needs this job, that's all kind of fallen by the wayside. He seems to be having, a, he seems to have stable employment. Uh, we don't hear about his kids too much anymore. We don't uh, hear from him much at all, really. Much at all. Uh, so the fact that Apollo Crews made pretty quick work of Heath Slater was not too surprising to me. But no. what's this do for Apollo Crews? I mean, like you said, what direction do they need to take to get to that next step on Monday Night Raw? I can tell you what direction they can't take, and that's aligning with Titus O'Neil. That guy is damaged goods. Aligning with that man right there will simply kill your career. And thankfully, it looked like Apollo Crews did not want any of it. I mean, I know he did win the match, but he was like, kind of like, kind of like, just get away from me. I don't really want anything to do with you, so go away. Um, he won on his own with no help from O'Neill, which was great. So hopefully, we don't see more of these two coming together. I do like O'Neill in a managerial role as a wrestler. The guy just absolutely does nothing for me. But so if this is building to a point where Apollo Crews maybe uh, uh, rubs uh, Titus O'Neill the wrong way, and they end up in a match against each other. I would be disappointed because you were absolutely hitting the nail on the head that uh, perhaps that Titus O'Neil's greatest achievement in the WWE has yet to be seen, and it could be in him re- bringing back the role of the wrestling manager yeah. to prominence. And, and these couple of wins are setting that in the right direction. And where was Apollo Crews before this? He was losing. Mm-hmm. So uh, whether he approves of the way that Titus does business or the way that he promotes the Titus brand, he might come around to seeing it Titus's way after a while. Much more successful already out of the gun than um, uh, Darren Young was with Bob Backlund. So they failed to make Darren Young great again. Darren Young is now a ghost and uh, Bob Backlund is no longer around on uh, WWE programming, which is a serious shame and detriment to us all. Um, the other uh, uh, big moments that happened on Raw this week really uh, uh, caught my interest and attention, and uh, that uh, was uh, coming directly from Cesaro and Sheamus. Mm-hmm. They made a bold statement that they do not set the bar, they are the bar, to which... Um, you know, it was quickly pointed out by Michael Cole that if they are the bar, then why aren't they the champions? Yeah. I believe that that is coming up next for them. They have uh, uh, come within half a count almost every time of beating the Hardy Boys, and the Hardy Boys are just that damn good, uh, to, to put it bluntly. Um, but uh, they're not invincible. And uh, the the Hardy Boys uh, are showing signs of a little bit of wear and tear. Obviously, uh, uh, Jeff Hardy had a tooth kicked out of his head <laughs> by Sheamus. 
Those kicks are so devastating. Go on YouTube. Look up Seamus Brogue Kick Compilation if you want any kind of clue as to what Seamus does for a living. He kicks people in the face up to the point of knocking major molars and, and teeth out of your head. Um, absolutely devastating matches. I, I have to say that Cesaro and Seamus are one of the most cohesive, strongest looking, um, best fit, tight, every positive thing you could say about a tag team. I feel Cesaro and Sheamus are, and I do not feel like they are using any type of negativity towards the crowd or any standard kind of uh, menial BS that uh, a, a, uh, a a heel would bring to uh, a tag team. They seem to be focusing on their strengths as, as competitors. What do you think the Hardy Boys are going to uh, – do you think the Hardy Boys are going to continue to face Cesaro and Sheamus? And will they crack? Easily. I mean, I, I know next week what has been confirmed next Monday night, we will see a gauntlet match, a gauntlet tag team match to determine new tag team champion contenders, uh, championship contenders, which I assume will be won by Cesaro and Sheamus. Like, how many teams can really be in this thing? You have the, the golden truth, for God's sakes. If they can't beat the golden truth, they do not deserve a shot at the I mean, We're going to see Gallows and Anderson. We're going to see Enzo and Kaz. You know, we're going to see the club. But... If Cesaro and Sheamus are the bar, then they really have no problem winning this match and then no, getting. Yeah. I mean, third time's a charm. This will be the if they win this, become the number one contenders. They will have faced the Hardys three times, um, and uh, they will have chipped away that much at at what it takes to beat that caliber. And if they can beat the Hardy Boys, who have came in legendary uh, competitors, you know, um, threw Sheamus and Cesaro off their game at WrestleMania. They were not prepared for the Hardys at all, and now they had to kind of like meet new competitors, study them, and get an advantage and find some kind of competitive game. Mm-hmm. I don't think that, that Seamus and Cesaro are out by a long shot. This is their game to play and to win, and I think that they have all the pieces in front of them. What do you think about their attitude change, though? I got to agree, though. I mean, as you said, the Hardy Boys, when they came back at WrestleMania, really took some shine off of Cesaro and Seamus, who felt that was their night to become tag team champions, and they were slighted by the Hardy Boys, so... It's hard to dispute that logic and also the logic that the fans, turning it back on the fans, like you said, they're not, you know, flipping off the fans or not doing anything. They're not cheating to win their matches or anything like that. What they said on Monday was honestly very true. Fans are too focused on the past and on the future to appreciate the present. And the present is right before us in the form of Cesaro and Sheamus. These two, as you said, which surprises me more than anything, are the most cohesive tag team in the entire WWE stands, the Usos, or brothers. These guys went from being enemies, mortal enemies, a number of months ago, to being the most cohesive tag team in the entire WWE. They have awesome chemistry. They took the fight to the Hardys. Just an absolute war on Sunday, and I'm sure if they get another shot of those titles probably at Extreme Rules, we could be looking at new tag team champions. I, I would not doubt it. They uh, they have every bit of the energy right now and momentum to, to, to take advantage of that. And they weren't... The, the, Sheamus put... Uh, I mean, Cesaro put this so well that it wasn't placing blame on the current WWE Universe or fan, if you will. It was merely suggesting that because of all of the shiny new trinkets and, you know, uh, things coming into the WWE Universe, whether it be a nostalgic trinket or something brand new from some obscure other promotion or internal promotion, um, that the WWE managers, and uh, that's a big focal point on this show, 
uh, are distracting the WWE universe with new shiny objects. And here you have the hardest working guys in the business, uh, Sheamus and Cesaro, two guys that could take more of a beating, come back from more injuries, you know, stay healthy for longer. They're going to persevere in this battle. They are going to win this this war eventually. And I think that highlighting now that you're either with them or against them, this is your opportunity to, to make that known. That you can be on their side right now. They're not. They're not like Seth Rollins turning on the whole audience when he came back from, uh, you know, his uh, his first injury on his rebuild, reclaim, you know, tour, uh, where he basically turned his back on the fans. This is not them turning their back on anyone. It's pointing out that like you either appreciate who we are right now and start getting behind us, or you're getting left behind, and mm-hmm. that's how it's going to be. And I, I, I'm on board. I have to say that that is the right and best mentality I've seen out of any tag team, and every tag team has something to learn. American Alpha, you should learn from Sheamus and Cesaro right now. I cannot believe how well they are doing uh, in the tag team division, and they need to bring that to the highest level possible. They almost need a perfect 10. So, cheap pop segue into uh, a match over on the SmackDown Live side of things. Ty Dillinger, the perfect 10, just looking as sharp as a razor as ever, came out and defeated a um, very bravado, heavy singing Aiden English. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the background of Aiden English's pension for singing in a ring. I mean, we did see it a couple of years ago. We, we, we saw a small snippet of it on SmackDown in Boston, live a couple of weeks ago. But prior to that point, this kind of stems from his history as an artiste, as he calls himself, in NXT, many, many years ago. Like, pre-Finn Balor, pre-Kevin Owens, like the early incarnation of NXT, where he just had an infatuation with singing. And, and it got over huge with the audience. The people loved it. For whatever reason, he got sidetracked with uh, Simon Gotch and the Vaude Villains kind of went by the wayside, but now that he's back on his own as a singles competitor, he is back to being an artiste, a singer, um, didn't really work out too well for him on Tuesday, came up short against Ty Dillinger, and then afterwards, breaking down completely, in tears really. Yeah, he, he, he you saw all of the, uh, the full range of emotions from just total shock to uh, disbelief to rage to complete devastating sadness, which, uh, you know, he sulked all the way backstage and ran afoul of Chris Jericho, who really tried to cheer him up before putting him on the list. You just made the list. Uh, and The un- last person on the list, I think, too, before the um, hiatus of Jericho. Unfor- Say goodbye, man. I, I, will, uh, I will make one caveat to that. It was actually Renee Young. Oh, no, it wasn't Renee Young, though. It, it wasn't? Was, what was her name? He gave her a different name, but it wasn't Renee Young. He gave her a nickname. And it was, uh, they were talking about it on Talking Smack, and Renee Young's like, I didn't make the list. Uh, I forgot what was the name. Trixie, something like that. Something but, along those lines. Yeah, I suppose you are absolutely right that, uh, you know, uh, Chris Jericho uh, certainly doesn't always remember people's names, so he might not always remember who is on this list. Mm-hmm. The list is very casual. Uh, these days, it could represent something good or bad, depending on how Jericho views it. So, depending on uh, whether your name is on the list for good or bad, maybe there's two lists that we don't know about on one clipboard. Um, a lot of paper can fit on that clipboard. Uh, any number of lists can pop up. It, uh, it was Ronnie. Sorry, that's what he called her. Called Ronnie. her Ronnie. Right. Well, you know, I don't know what the reference is, but he called her Ronnie. Poor Ronnie <laughs> is on the list. Uh, you know, may she do well. But uh, I suppose that uh, she, Ronnie, is technically the last name on the list of Jericho for now. Um, uh, but, uh, Ty Dillinger, uh, made pretty, pretty smooth work of Aiden English and, and devastated Aiden English to a point, uh, that we have not seen, uh, an outburst like that from a, um, a 
particularly a male superstar in the ring. Um, what do you think the reaction is going to be to that? And what are we going to see more of this over-emotional Aiden English now that Simon Gotch is no longer around? I hope we do. I hope we see more of English, period. More variety on SmackDown is a good thing. We've been seeing with Jinder Mahal. We've been seeing with Brizongo in the Fashion Files on Tuesday. And now we're seeing with Aiden English, a former established star in NXT. So I'm glad he's getting the opportunity to shine no matter whether he's winning or losing. He made an impression on Tuesday night in losing and breaking down in tears, which was the most memorable part about that segment, believe it or not. Yeah, absolutely. Another memorable uh, moment from SmackDown this week was Dolph Ziggler uh, criticizing uh, other superstars um, while he talked to a unknown faceless group of jobbers, uh, random employees of the WWE. No one we knew. Truly, uh, and had uh, some pretty choice words for Shane McMahon. Um, what what do you make of Dolph Ziggler right now? He defeated Sin Cara this week, uh, which he has done in the past before. Uh, Sin Cara continues to try and and to, to move up uh, in his own progress, but seems to be stalled by people like Dolph Ziggler. And Dolph Ziggler doesn't seem to really care about much of anything right now. What's going on with Dolph Ziggler? What do we know? That I'm not exactly sure. I mean, we we talked about it ad nauseum in the past about how Ziggler is jealous of the incoming stars from Baron Corbin to Apollo Crews to Kalisto and how Shinsuke Nakamura. We talked about it again off the record a couple of days ago how Shinsuke Nakamura is all over the promotional material for Backlash. I assume his first match, which will be taking at the event, uh, you know, taking place at the event. That's already confirmed. Um, I assume his first opponent will be Dolph Ziggler. But Dolph Ziggler has been nowhere to be seen. I know the match is not yet official, but Ziggler is nowhere to be seen in that promotional material. He must be ticked off that, hey, Nakamura is probably going to be facing me. I've been making the most impressions, uh, you know, the biggest impression against Shinsuke Nakamura in recent weeks. Why isn't my name on the marquee? Why is it just Shinsuke Nakamura? So it's hard to blame him for being frustrated right now with the inner workings of SmackDown. He might have his own issues with Daniel Bryan and and Shane McMahon and the management over on the blue brand. But, again, it's hard to blame the uh, Bleach Blonde superstar right now. Oh, it absolutely is. I mean, we have so much going into Backlash. We only know a few things right now, truly, about what's happening at Backlash. We know that Randy Orton is going to be taking on uh, the newly dubbed Maharaja of the WWE. That is Jinder Mahal. Uh, for the WWE Championship, which is hopefully back in the hands of the champion Randy Orton at this point. Um, AJ Styles is definitely primed and in line to be facing Kevin Owens for the United States title. I suppose that's because uh, Jinder Mahal has taken the spot that AJ Styles so rightfully deserves. So if AJ Styles has anything else on his mind following his match with the face of America, it's certainly going to be the WWE Championship. We know that Brizongo will be battling the Usos for potentially their first SmackDown Tag Team title championship reign. Can't say that uh, they don't deserve every bit of that, but what else will we see going into Backlash? We know we're going to be seeing Shinsuke Nakamura for the first time in in-ring competition, most likely against Dolph Ziggler, who is positioning himself to be right in the way of the artist known as Shinsuke Nakamura. Graham, final thoughts for today. Uh, no real final thoughts other than I thoroughly enjoyed Payback, enjoyed Raw, enjoyed SmackDown. Again, I've said it a million times. I'll say it again. I'm really, really digging the current landscape of WWE. Backlash right around the corner. Judas, uh, Fozzie's latest song, their music video is up now, is the official theme song for NXT TakeOver Chicago. Hell yeah. Looking forward to that. And one last thing, may the 4th be with you. May the 4th be with you. You've been great. 
We have been Wrestle Rant Radio. Check us out online at nextera.wrestling.net. Graham, a pleasure as always. We will be back next week to talk about backlash developments and so much more. We'll see you then, folks. Take care. Have a great one.